Let's get into the Word. Thank you for that reminder, Walter. Isn't it exciting to be part of the family of God? It's so exciting to be a part of the family of God. And I could just keep on going. Uh, don't get your feelings hurt. Uh, because the truth of the matter is that the well is wide open all the time. Wide open, is it not? It's insanity, right? And uh, I can't be everywhere. No, one, no other one person can be everywhere. And so it's just amazing to me that there are so many arms of ministry and so many outreaches and so many things going on here at the church and half of them I don't even know what's going on but people love God and they are running the race with endurance and it's really really exciting and I think that's the way it should be that's another thing I've been learning about leadership is that we if a, a good leader a, a wonderful leader will always be building people up in such a way that they don't need for him to lead them anymore but they become leaders of themselves and Every good leader is working himself out of a job because he's raising people up to be able to do what he does or what she does, but in an even better way. And that's, that's exciting, and that's the way it should be. Really, that's just Discipleship 101. Disciples making disciples making disciples, and so it's pretty exciting. Turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 8. And I knew that uh, that was going to take a little while, so... Um, <clears throat> I'm only going to cover seven verses today. <laughs> but I wanted to, I really, I really appreciated and liked that acronym that we did a couple of weeks ago. Did you guys think that that was helpful to help you to really kind of understand and remember uh, what we were doing? Because Hebrews can kind of be thick sometimes, can it? Uh, it can, it can be weighty, it can be deep, it's really good, but it can be really deep and a lot of concepts pulling from the Old Testament and so on and so forth. And so <clears throat> I've got another acronym for you today, and I thought that this might be a really good way for us to wrap our minds around it and to make it um, applicable to, or at least to show, we don't make the Bible relevant ever. You know, don't, don't use that language, but we just try to convey how the Bible is relevant because it's relevant in and of itself to all peoples in all times. So today we're going to be looking at the high priestly nature a little bit more in depth of Jesus Christ and if you've been following along and if you've been trying to keep up and learn and uh, you'll know that we've talked a good bit about the high priest in, in an Old Testament fashion and what he was doing how he was appointed lots of different aspects of the high priest in the Old Testament but today chapter 8 really dials in and focuses on the high priestly reality of Jesus Christ and how Jesus relates to the priesthood in general and what the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as the great high priest what that means about the priesthood and what that means for you and me how does that apply to us and so for today's sermon for today's lesson whatever you want to call it let's use the acronym priest Easy enough, you should be able to remember that. And what I hope to do today is to use this acronym to teach chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, what the reality of that text is showing us about Jesus, about what uh, reality is for this audience and for us, and how that applies to our lives. And how can we actually take that truth 
and it affect our lives and change us so that we would be more in line with God's word, more in line with who, who Christ Jesus is. And so the first one we come to here is P, uh, and I'm going to lay out what P is. But first, let's all stand to our feet. Let's read the text. Let's give honor to God's word, and let's break it down. Let's see if we can do it in about... I'm, I'm gonna, last week I said that was going to take 15 minutes. It took 50, so quick math on that. Let's say that we're gonna, I'm going to preach about a three-minute sermon. So in all reality, it'll be about, I don't know, 45. Why did you get so quiet? God's Word, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern, it's going to be huge, that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is, a, that is as much more excellent than the, old, uh, than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. The ESV, as you can kind of tell probably as I was reading, is a little bit choppy. Uh, in this section of scripture and that's because the ESV and the uh, ASV the um, the NAS and things like that they try to keep a pretty rigid formal um, interpretation of the text meaning that they try to stay pretty word for word so we're going to break it down and try to clarify it just a little bit so the first verse and the second verse we're going to read those again and that'll represent the P up here in the word priest. And I hope you've written down priest and you'll kind of fill that in as we go. Verse 1, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy place, uh, in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. The first thing I want to point out there is where it says, now the point in what we are saying is this. That's a really good line right there to help us to understand that what he's about to say in verses 1 and 2 and following is a summary. Uh, it, is a, it is a summary that will capture what he's been teaching in uh, chapter 7. He's saying, now, I told you all this stuff in chapter 7. We've already taught on that. I'm not going to go back. I've told you all of this in, in chapters 4, 5, 6, 7. And the point of what I've been teaching you is this. And so when you read that, not that you would perk up any more in one place of Scripture than the other because it's all God-breathed. But when you read that, your ears automatically go up. And you say, 
Oh, oh, here it is. Here it is. I think I've been understanding this rightly, but he's about to clarify it. And he's saying, now the point of all of this is this. And what does he say right after that? He says, now the point of all of this, the point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister, talking about this high priest, in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So, in dealing with this acronym and trying to make it understandable, the first letter, P, is standing for this, is the pinnacle point priest. You say, what does that mean? Pinnacle. Is that right? Pinnacle is the highest point priest. Jesus Christ is not just a high priest. He is the high priest. He is at the top of it all. He is the pinnacle point high priest. In other words, all the other priests that, that came before him were all building up to reveal and to point to and to show Jesus Christ as the final pinnacle point priest jesus is it he is the top of the ladder every other priest that came before him had ministered in the lower region they had ministered on a lower level they were inferior in every way they were unable to do what jesus christ would do which was part of the point part of the point of the priesthood was to reveal that unity with God and propitiation, payment for the sins that were committed by men, were unable to be made by human priests. This is the whole point. That there is no mediator that can mediate your problems to God except the one man the one high priest, Christ Jesus. Anyone who offers you the idea or expresses to you that if you would do something for them, that they would offer something to God or go before God, between you and God, to make you right with God is a blasphemous statement and a lie. As a matter of fact, Anyone who would try to take the place as Jesus Christ as the mediator between you and God to absolve you or to deal with your sins is one who is setting himself up in the place of God as if he could do what Jesus Christ could do. And the Lord shares his throne with no one. This Jesus, the pinnacle point priest, that he is above all. He is the only true few things in that text that shows us that. We see in that text, it says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. The word such alone in the English translation 
demonstrates and points us to the fact that this high priest is different than the other high priest. We have such a high priest that he's going to go on. See how this distinguishes him, draws him out from the other priests that had come before. And remember, we're dealing with Jews here who had, uh, who had moved over to Christianity, who had moved over to the way. They had uh, renounced their former religion and uh, given allegiance to Jesus Christ. They have become Christian. Now they're thinking, though, about going back to the old ways. And what were the old ways? That was to submit yourself to a priest who would then mediate between you and God in order to absolve you from your sins, to make sacrifice for your sins, to do these things in order that you might be right with God. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look, you don't understand. No longer is there any need, or is it even possible, for a man that is not Jesus Christ to do anything for you to make you right with God except proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, bring you to a place where you recognize and acknowledge Jesus Christ as the high priest who mediates the sacrifice and the propitiatory payment that, would be, that you would be able to come into a right relationship with God. Does that make sense? There were some bigger words used, so let's break that down even more. This is the point. This is the point in what he is saying. All of these priests and men came before. They offered to you rightness with God. But what you need to realize is, is that those high priests were on one level doing one thing. But they were leading to where we are now to point to this high, high priest who is on a whole nother level doing a whole nother thing. This high priest is such that. Such that what? <clears throat> one who is such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. You see, this is the distinguishing thing. These high priests that came before, they were not seated on a throne, no. They were not seated on the throne. In the Old Testament, there was a distinction between the priests and the king. Now, there were some people in the Old Testament who took on tasks and they carried out roles that put them in a type of uh, kingly priest. But Jesus comes on the scene as the king priest. You see, Jesus Christ is not like these other priests who did not live in the tent, not the true tent. They would go in and out of the tent to make propitiation. They would go in and out of the tent to make payment, to sacrifice. There was once a year, Yom Kippur, that they could have the Day of Atonement where they would wash away in a symbolic way even. They didn't even cleanse consciences. It was all pointing. It was all, absolutely every single last bit of it was anticipatory it was looking out there to what would finally be actually done by jesus christ the bible tells us very clearly that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away any sin so all of that that the high priests were doing they were doing symbolically they really actually didn't take away any sin even then but no this high priest he actually sits on the throne so jesus is a king priest which is our number two here he, Jesus, is the priest who is the reigning the reigning 
Oh, I messed that up. Hold on a second. I forgot one thing. I want to add this in. I could have done it without it, but let's do this. He is the real reigning royal. He is the real reigning royal priest. Jesus Christ is not just some low-level servant who does what he's told. Now, Jesus Christ did come as a servant, obviously. But oftentimes we fail to realize that when Jesus Christ returns, he will not return as a Galilean peasant. He will not return as a, a, a servant from Nazareth. He will return as a servant, but he will return as a king servant. When he, the first time he came to deal with sin, the second time he comes to deal with sinners. We need to submit and bow down to this royal priest, this king priest. You see, Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. But the beauty is, watch this. It says that one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So even though Jesus Christ is seated on the throne far above and beyond any type of authority that we could ever even imagine, he is God and he is seated on the throne. But watch this. He is also a minister, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He is a minister. So this king who is seated on the throne in heaven, far above the earth, this king who is seated on the throne is actually a high priest who is a minister. Now, what does the word minister mean in the Greek? What does the word minister mean in this context? It means one that is helping. One who is coming alongside, one who is fighting for you, one who is a go-between, one who is picking you up, loving you, helping you, bringing you to a place of wholeness and completion. That's what a minister does. He is a servant who longs to see you in all of the glory that God has designed for you. Jesus Christ is actively right now in the sovereign place of authoritative king, continually still stooping to help you in your time of need. That is mind-boggling. What king do you know like that? Kings normally, we see in movies, they're holding their hands out so you can kiss the ring. Now, let's recognize right away that, yes, we bow down, we kiss the ring. He's king. But this king, Jesus, is not like any other king that you've ever even imagined. This king picks us up. He looks us in the eye and he says, I love that, I love that, but you know, you're my friend. The Bible says that God spoke with Moses as if speaking to a friend. Face to face, he communicated. Now, we understand that God didn't really speak to uh, Moses face to face, literally. He couldn't have. Because the Bible tells us anybody who looked on God's face would not live. Man can't look on God's face. He dies. That's it. Until Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the express image of God. He is the one that you can have a face-to-face -face conversation with and you can live because he has consumed all of the fire that would have consumed you. Adam and Eve had no sin. After they sinned and fell in the garden, that sin would have corrupted their being and they would have, if they would have looked on the face of God, they would have burst into flames as well. 
But Adam and Eve would have been able to speak with God face to face in their perfect, uh, no sin uh, created being, as far as I can tell from the scripture. Now, the Bible does say in Genesis, not to get me off on a 10-minute tangent here, Charles. Good question, though. The Bible does say that God walked in the garden at God, and, you know, God doesn't have legs. You know, before Jesus, he didn't have legs. It's really called, it's, this is called a big word, but hold on, it's, you need to know it, anthropomorphic. It's a big word. It just means, speaks in common language, the language of man. He would, he would come and present himself as a man, and he would interact with people. That's why the Bible says that he spoke with Moses face to face when in all actuality, what it really actually means is, is that he had intimate communion with him. But you see, in Jesus, in Jesus, it's not anthropomorphic language. It's actually that when we stand before God, we will see Jesus face to face and he will be our friend and he will embrace us. And even right now, as he's seated in the true tent in the true tent. You see, all, and I'm getting ahead of myself. We can actually put our hands on God. When Jesus came back, he told Thomas, who was in a bad way. You know, most kings have been like, you know, Jesus is like, I am here. King. And Thomas is like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, most kings be like, are you doubting me? you know smash you boy you know no jesus is like oh thomas come here bro put your hands right there look now look i'm i'm here right right you know it's me it's me right How, and you know touch is very important right so like i could just stay up there and i'm like gimbler you listen to me boy you know You've, you've heard me speak. But no, what, what, I come down here. This is exactly what I was talking about a while ago, right? Touchable, touchable. You know, I'm right here. I'm right here. You know, we're friends. I love you, man. You know, we work together. I don't know if y'all know that. We work, he don't work for me, but we work together. And it's right here. We touch. We, we know each other. We love each other, right? I care about you. You know, a king doesn't care about his people unless he's a really good king. And this King Jesus is like the king that's also the perfect high priest minister. So this king comes down off of his throne and sits with you and listens to you and listens to your heart. And he actually does care. Walter, what you got, bro? Um, he does not have a face. That's what I was saying. God is spirit. He has no face. He has no legs. Every time you see the mighty hand of God, this anthropomorphic language. Now, in the Old Testament, even, God would show up as a man, and we call that what? Somebody hit a big word? Christophany. Good job. What is a Christophany? Jesus inserting himself, breaking into the Old Testament, into history, before the incarnation, which is when Jesus would actually become a man. The second member of the Trinity, the Son, has always been God, and he will always be God. God has always existed in the form of of a trinity, and that is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All are equally God, but all are distinct from one another. We can talk about that later. Before the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, God had no body unless he manifested himself in human form, which was still not his body. We call that a Christophany. Anytime in the Old Testament you see someone looking at God, and, the, and that, that 
that God has presented himself as a man, we understand that to be a Christophany or a theophany, where God came down and presented himself as a man. But in the incarnation, God added the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, added humanity to his being. We call that the hypostatic union. You guys are going to have me teach, and everybody's going to be like, I don't know what you were talking about. The hypostatic union is this joining together of God and man in the person of Jesus Christ, never to be separated again. Why? Because God had to take on flesh in order to be the mediator, which is what we're talking about right now. All of these other high priests, this is a good question, Walter, led us to a good place. This is why those high priests that came before, and anybody who claims to be a priest today is nothing but a liar, or they are of priests who have no power to do anything. Why? Why? It's because all of the high priests who were even appointed by God through the law knew, God knew, he's told us, that they could actually do nothing to deal with sin. They could not absolve the sins of men. The blood of bulls and goats didn't. Nothing, nothing, and neither do these supposed priests today. They can offer nothing. Why? Because only God can deal with sin. Only God can deal with sin. And the only man that can do anything about sin must necessarily be also God. Therefore, Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, I think it is. I posted the other day. I might have the reference wrong. The text says there is but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's the only one that's God and man. The God of him can forgive sins and perfectly deal with and justify and forgive. The man of him can be the one who lived a perfect sinless life and be the actual sacrifice, the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He can actually be that. The two joined together in the hypostatic union is the one that can deal with sins from both angles. He is the bridge that sinful man must cross to be one with God. We're almost through two verses. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He doesn't serve. You see, these other high priests who came before, where do they serve? Made by who, Walter? Man. And you know, we can be talking about priests, and we could be talking about the Roman Catholic Church, false priests, blasphemous actions and activities, but they exist in the Protestant denominations as well. They exist in the Protestant denominations as well. You come to this place and you've got a Protestant minister who's telling you that if you'll just do this, 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 and this, I'll declare that you're a believer and you'll be okay. You see, the crazy thing about God is, is that he came down in such a way that he enters into the individual believer. You see, the beauty is, is that in every other religion, you have to have somebody to do the work for you. But in Christianity, Jesus Christ says, I will come down and dwell in you and be one with you and you with me and me with you. And we will be one. And you have access to the Father in heaven and you need no man in order to get to God. Now, fellowship is crucial in, in becoming the, the fullness and the, and the complete man that God has called you to be. But salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. And he, he does this ministering. His help 
this king who comes and helps, he does it in the true tent, not the one that, the, not, not the one that man set up. These were all copies and shadows. Listen to what it says. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for, the priest also, for this priest also to have something to offer. What did he offer? He did have something to offer. What was it? Salvation. But what did he offer up in sacrifice? Himself. You see, the point is, and this is laid out other, in other places in, in pretty explicit ways, and uh, this, is the, this is the bottom line, is that all the priests had to offer sacrifices that they did not own themselves personally. Those sacrifices were provided by God. You say, well, no, they were their goats. Well, maybe so, but who was the one that formed that goat together in its mother's womb? You say, he just does that to human. I'd say, no, God carries out every molecule that moves from one place to the other, or split atom that splits or whatever. Who was the one that made the goat on its, on its greatest foundational level? God. God has always provided the sacrifices. And until God provided the sacrifice that would actually <coughs> take away the sins of the world, all these other sacrifices were mere pointings. <coughs> they were mere examples. They were merely demonstrating the reality that would need to be made uh, known and made real in order to actually deal with sin. They offered up sacrifices. And not only that, they offered up sacrifices in a um, in a less than pure way, they were uh, they were they were not sinless sacrifices. They were not perfect sacrifices, and they were not human sacrifices. What what type of sacrifice do you need to have necessarily in order to deal with the sins of men? You need a man. In order to deal with human sin, you need a human sacrifice. In order to deal with human sin in a perfect way, you need a perfect human sacrifice. You see how all this is just clicking together. It should be. I hope it is. All this just clicks together. That's what one thing that I love about the Bible. It is so perfectly smooth, and it builds on top of each other. He says, now if he were on earth, he says, uh, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. And he did. Jesus Christ offered himself. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Now, here is somewhat or can be a somewhat difficult passage to understand. What does he mean? I know. What does he mean? He says, if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since... There are priests who offer gifts according to the law. What do you get from that? Well, I think that we see, even in the previous passages, in the previous chapters, we see that Jesus Christ was not appointed according to the law. And we know that because when Jesus Christ was here and he was building his high priestly ministry, who opposed him more than anybody? The Pharisees, the high priests. Those who were in this position hated his guts. Why? Because he did not qualify to be the high priest as far as they were concerned. What are some of the ways that he would not have been allowed to be a high priest according to the law? Can anybody tell me from the text? What conditions did he not meet? He was not from the tribe of Levi. Good. He was not from the tribe of Levi. He would not have been able to be a high priest in the Pharisaical system because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He was not a descendant of Aaron. Who was he a descendant of? David. He was a king, the tribe of Judah. 
He did not meet those qualifications. Remember what we talked about. In order to overcome the system, the system had nothing within itself to offer salvation and bring perfection. As a matter of fact, it was perfect at demonstrating the imperfections of those who were under its authority. Someone had to come from outside the system, but who still met all of the conditions of the system in order to perfectly fulfill every bit of it. And you might be able to say to me, and you should respond if you're a thinking Berean, but if he didn't meet the conditions to be appointed high priest according to the law, then how could he have rightly offered the sacrifices that needed to be offered to bring men to salvation? I'm glad you asked. Because he superseded, he went above and beyond. He was appointed not according to the law, but he was appointed according to his sonship. So the one that wrote the conditions, wrote the conditions that the mere earthly men would be appointed to to the high priest according to this law. But Jesus Christ comes and he is appointed a priest due to his sonship which supersedes the law and is a greater condition now if he would have been appointed by a lesser condition then he would not have been able to to offer the sacrifice and it be according and to and a fulfillment of the law but since jesus was appointed in in a way that superseded the law by the one who wrote the law then he supersedes it and he fulfills it even more than one that was appointed according to the law does that make sense It's like a king who writes a law and he says, this is the only way that this can happen if you meet this law, X, Y, Z. And the law is is that you have to be in a right position. X, Y, Z is how you get there. But then he sends his son and says, my son not only meets the X, Y, Z, but he is what X, Y, Z was about the whole time. Does that make sense? That's why Jesus says, that when they ask him about the Sabbath, he did these things on the Sabbath, which is according to the Pharisaical law and the extra rules and their understanding of it was the breaking of the law. But Jesus says, no, I did not break the law because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What does he mean? He means that all of these laws that you see, they are set apart to do what only I can do. And so I do whatever I want to on the Sabbath because if I do it, then that's the definition of what can be done on the Sabbath. Because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So if what I do seems to contend with what you understand can't be done, then you need to change your understanding because what I do is perfectly doing what should have been done. Does that make sense? That's exciting to me. That's exciting. All right, we might have to cover some of this later. Raise your hand if you want me to keep going. Everybody else can raise your hand if you're a sinner. (laughs) What I'm going to do is this. I think this will be good, actually. I'm going to give you some homework. I'm going to give you some. I want you to write this down. I'm going to give you some homework. We went through, and it was great. I I love, actually, the interaction. That really does not bother. I think it's good. It's great. Okay, we went through verse, really, verse 4. And we didn't hit verse 5. But I'm going to give you the next... Uh, letters in the acronym I'm gonna go ahead and give them to you I want you to read the rest of verses or study the rest of verses 1 through 7 which would be 4 through 7 and go back and read those two and I want you to see if you can start to wrap your mind around why I laid out 
the, the acronym priest in this way. So Jesus is the pinnacle point priest. He's above every other one. He was what they were pointing to. He's the real reigning royal. So Jesus is a royal priest. He is a king priest. Now, what we're going to hit on next is the fact that all of this other stuff that came before was copies and shadows. And so this I right here, and I don't know if you noticed, but uh, RRRPPP, you ought to be able to get this and dial it into your memory. Okay, so the I is, is he is the initial image issued. Jesus Christ was the image that was put forth that everything else would be created in that image, in that style, in that method. In other words, Jesus Christ is the, the thing that they were looking at while they were painting down here. Okay, does that make sense? Dig in a little bit. Okay, now, the, second, the E is that he is the eternal Now, this, is, this word can be spelled two ways. I use the E spelling for this purpose. But eminence can be spelled I-M-M-I. But this is an actual spelling of this word. He is the eternal eminence. Meaning that he is the image that was issued for them to build the copies according to. But he is also reigning and ruling in heaven and eternal means obviously ne never having a beginning and never having an end and eminence means point of prominence or this coming before he is preeminent he is imminent it is all due to him he is the eternal eminence then the here's where we get to how this all relates to us in the specific ways is that he is the sovereign Sealer. Now, I went back and forth on whether to use Savior, Salvation, but I chose this for a specific reason. Maybe you can dig and ask, ask yourself, why did he use the word Sealer instead of Savior? I'll give you some insight. He's the Sovereign Sealer. And then the last, now you might think that this should go back up to this initial image, but you can tell me why I put it down here other than the T. He is the true tabernacle. I'll give you a hint on this one. In the tabernacle was where God dwelled. In the Old Testament, he, he dwelled there in a metaphoric sense uh, to a large part. Uh, but in Jesus Christ is found the true tabernacle. And what was God doing dwelling in the tabernacle? What was this promise? I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will make my dwelling among you. All of that language comes out when the tabernacle is built in the midst of the people. Okay, so think of that, and that's the, that's the shadow and what Jesus Christ, who is the substance, means. And we'll finish this up next week. Sound like a plan?
All right, get in it then and study it. Let's come back excited to learn what God has for us. Let's go ahead, Charles. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Now, I think we've had a good bit of application today in, in what we've talked about. Well, we've talked, a, we've talked a lot about a good bit of lofty truth, too. I think the, the point that uh, comes across to me today as I, as I speak and as I, you know, just kind of walk through God's Word and what just, man, just means so much to me is the idea that Jesus Christ is that pinnacle point priest. He is so far above everything that we could possibly imagine. But simultaneously, simultaneously, while he is that pinnacle point priest and he is the real reigning royal, he's the king far above and beyond, that he is also a minister in the true tent where God, who is so far away, draws oh so close. And all that, what I was telling you about this, and this is that tabernacle idea, and we're closing with this. Let's all stand to our feet. I'll give you one more hint. Is that now, Jesus Christ, who is the true tabernacle, transforms you into a tabernacle as well that you your body your person you are the temple of the living God and God comes to dwell in you with you for you and so this God is not far off he's not found in religious exercises and rituals but he desires a close intimate walk where you can touch him and feel him, and know him, and him look you dead in the eye. This sovereign king who is the priest will look you right in the eye as he holds your hand. He says, me and you, we got this. We got this. You can actually walk day by day, walking in the presence of the living God. Him and you, and you and him. Nothing, nothing can stand in your way if that's reality. No storm is too tough, no wave is too high, no arm is too strong or situation too desperate. Jesus Christ will carry you. He will give you strength, wisdom, and understanding. He will release you from those bonds that hold you. There is nothing outside of His reach. He is God Almighty who lives to live with you. Give Him glory, church. Give Him glory. Amen.